0: Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by PIMCO, one of the world's leading fixed income managers. For 50 years, PIMCO has been dedicated to helping millions of investors pursue their objectives regardless of shifting market conditions. At PIMCO, ESG investing is an essential part of their commitment to delivering on their clients' objectives, while at the same time supporting long-term sustainable economic growth globally. Hello and welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. We are at episode four of our five-part series when we're looking at uh, all different things regarding ESG investing and portfolios and advice. Uh, In this particular episode, we're really tackling a very popular subject, that of climate change and the changing climate of climate change. So stay tuned to this episode and hear uh, our expert panel talk about all the different things that they discuss with their clients around climate change and their investment portfolios. Welcome back, Nathan. Thank you. Fantastic to have you on this episode. We are talking the changing climate of climate change, one of your favourite topics.
1: Absolutely. I've talked about this all day. <laughs> you can probably have a good rant about this all day as well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I think you've heard or been receiving out of many of my rants about the inac- inadequate um, or their complete lack of policy at the federal level and the, the handballing to the state level where I think – I think in this space we're seeing in Australia the the people lead everything. So we've seen you know, I remember I lived next to an environmental engineer years ago and he came from Germany to Australia and he was shocked at how much of the work he was doing was in the private sector, um, and not the government. Where in Germany government leads most of it. And, you know, it is it's companies and individuals and the state government as well. The state governments across the country are doing all the heavy lifting. And and the federal government just fly. Um, hey, look, we're doing something, but don't actually look what we're doing. Flags, which is infuriating. I think for a lot of people, advisors, clients, everyone I speak to, I think is frustrated by it.
0: Yeah, well, look, certainly, financial advice is one of those professions that uh, that you know could have done a lot more earlier. Uh, and then when government stepped in, you know, we got handed a whole lot of results that we didn't want. Uh, when it comes to climate change, I, I think there's probably the same conversations should be had at board levels within companies and a lot of companies are moving early or not waiting
1: for legislation? Yeah. I mean, we've just seen um, Rio and BlueScope, I think it was, have signed a memorandum to find lower carbon steel production. So they're joining forces to reduce their own emissions. We've seen BHP divest its oil and gas operations to Woodside. Um, I think that's at the mining level, but I think individual companies are starting to be really conscious of their own, Um, their own emissions i know super funds were at the institutional level large super funds when talking to external managers ask them what are your emissions of your portfolio it's a massive topic right now it's an easy one to identify it's an easy one to manage i think mcveigh v rest back in 2019 now Um, where the 25-year-old sued REST superannuation fund um, for lack of climate disclosure, that drove a lot of this change in the institutional level because it worked people up to, this is a material risk. It's a material risk to members of super funds who've got 30-year retirement horizons. And therefore, it's a material risk to financial advisors who are working with clients who have 30-year retirement horizons and need to consider under Standard 6 broader implications of their recommendations. So I think... It's a it's a huge area, but it's also very easily addressed because it's one factor. It's climate change is an input output factor. Um, when you start looking at more complicated things like biodiversity, these complex systems, it's going to be so much harder. Um, and so we, with this, we need to. I think we can lead the way. I think people are leading the way. You know, the, the lower emissions products available and super funds are getting huge inflows now. Um, the data rate of REIA is showing that um, the Responsible um, Investment Association of Australasia are showing that um, ethical and responsible funds are growing at an alarming rate. And um, non-ethical responsibles actually fell in funds under management over the, the 2020 time frame, And this is largely due to demand. I mean, we've never had enough the amount of products and choice we have now. Two years ago, there was five things. Now- you know, you have to actually properly compare the various ethical products to see which is more targeted to your client because there are so many options and that's being led from consumer demand. And, but these consumers are also, you know, management at large organizations. So they're trying to do things on both sides, which is excellent.
0: Yep. Now, and now I want to get into this conversation around um, so much coming out, so many new things coming out. Along with that comes the marketing along with that comes a little bit of greenwashing. What
1: are your thoughts? Mm. I think oh, it's it's rampant. It's absolutely rampant. So, I think what's what's key to climate change as an advisor and identifying greenwashing is you want to understand the the underlying holdings. You want to understand the uh, I suppose benchmarks put in place. So if one fund says we don't invest in fossil fuels, asterisks any company that generates at least, you know, more than twenty five percent of their total revenue from fossil fuels. Or fossil fuel production, but not servicing companies, or those sorts of things. That's one way to look at it. And that's, you know, but there's also something to be said about we don't invest in any fossil fuels at all, but fossil fuel companies could be leading the way. They could be the transitionary companies because they're the ones with both the resources. The um, infrastructure, both human capital and physical capital, and the need to transition into low emissions. So I think engagement and funds' engagement is another part of that. Um, it's hey, transition or we're out. It's voting records. Did the company or did this fund vote? You know, holding ExxonMobil, did they vote? against or for alignment to the Paris accord and, and what are they doing in that space, which is, which can be tricky to identify as an advisor because it's so, there's so many things to look for. But I think a lot of the greenwashing comes about I think some of the best ethical funds have no ethical marketing at all. And some of the most ethical marketing are some of the worst ethical funds. So it, there's a real challenge for us as advisors to be able to see through that um, and, and also, we're just so tired of the word ESG. I think it's it's flagged around everywhere with some really great stuff, but also some very lukewarm things as well. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, uh, Ria, in,
0: in that, um, you know, that grab that you just went through there. Talk us through how that's something that has helped you and been helping other advisors through these the screen washing conversation.
1: So RIA um are a great organization that if you're not aware of them, you should check out their website if this is a space you want to start learning about. They've got um they do annual um reports on the market itself and what's happening there. They've got a screening tool. Um they look in, you know, they engage with funds to improve. And uh, they hold conferences, they hold educational sessions. They're a really good place to to engage and start. And they're also the they manage the certification of ethical advisor. So if you want to push into this space and and sort of start moving more into then they're considering that's really really important um and you know the more membership based they get the i suppose the more value they can create so it's one of those self fulfilling things um but they do a really really good job there and it's a good place as an advisor they've got an advisor guide to start with their advisor guide and then go from there yeah wonderful uh now
0: let's go back to government government can create policy but as you mentioned you know um Often it's the, the, the boards of these larger companies uh, and those companies that are providing investment into those companies that are, that are able to, uh, to make real change happen uh, if, if, in, in the lack of government doing so?
1: Yeah. So we saw earlier this year, um, there was a case with ExxonMobil with, um, I think, four board members uh, who were all climate change deniers. And uh, a little, in the US, they have a thing called shareholder resolution, where basically you can raise something as an issue and then encourage everyone to vote on it and effectively becomes a bit of a campaign. And a tiny fund called Engine Number One uh, started this campaign and ended up getting BlackRock on board to vote alongside them. And the, so they overturned management's decision and removed four members of the board who were climate change deniers and appointed four, um, I suppose, people who believe in physics to the board. And and it's help, It's going to help the transition of that entity move forward, you know. And we know a lot of these large, uh, traditionally f- fossil fuel and energy-based companies are talking about this, are engaging and are shifting because they have to. But that's also done because we are putting the pressure on them. And we had an inquiry earlier this year. The government led an inquiry into why fossil fuel companies can't get finance, insurance and investment. And, you know, we had fund managers on that inquiry. Robert and Nathan Parkin from Ethical Partners were on that inquiry they spoke at that so they are seen as experts in this space and because they are and and I think the investment community of which we subscribe to have so much power to to drive this change in in the absence of of federal government leadership yeah, uh, and the other the other people
0: involved in driving this change are, of course, the advisors, but also the clients from their own personal point of view and being able to make these decisions that we've been speaking about in the previous episodes. Um, one of the things I wanted to draw back to because you mentioned it was um, the 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 idea of being able to say to your client, you know, your impact has you've taken this many cows off the road, all those sorts of things.
1: Tell us about how that works. I think when you're looking at emissions in general, within a reasonable um, scope. You can say, I think Future Super released a study that like if 11% of people um, completely removed fossil fuels from their portfolios in Australia, 11% of Super, it would solve our issue with climate change. So, I think as an individual, if you're looking at the things that you can do, you can eat less meat, you can drive your car less, um, you can turn off your lights, which a lot of the turn off your lights stuff was actually driven by marketing campaigns run by um, the polluters. Um, for years and put the responsibility back on the individual when they have quite a marginal impact but transportation and um to a lesser extent uh transportation of food really are the two big ones so you know how you source the power in your home is, is quite marginal on a small scale but the next one is how you invest because dollars drive change the conscious capitalism we can drive change and that's but if, if you were if someone said to me, what are the three things I could do to r- improve my my impact? I'd say, you know, before getting rid of all pets, because I love dogs and dogs are probably not the best thing for climate change. It's saying, you know, eat less meat, drive less where you can and review your portfolio, review your super, do something about it. You know, get not, you don't have to remove all fossil fuels, but have a real conscious effort of reducing the carbon emissions. So the average, the average, um, carbon footprint of the of an index product, like a diversified index product is about 40 million metric tons. It is not difficult to get that down to somewhere between five and twelve metric tons. So that's we're talking about a 75% reduction in emissions um, from your individual money, which is a 75% reduction. We're aiming to get that to half, you know, and then be carbon neutral by by 2050, you know, and half by 2030 every other country but Australia. We could do 75% through our portfolio alone. Um, and and that would push demand because those companies would see a mass divestment, and therefore have to shift the ones that the ones that weren't coming along. So, yeah, I think it's it's enormous power. Fantastic,
0: Nathan. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I love that. Uh, I love that uh, saying. You just dollars drive decisions. I think it's a an incredibly uh, impactful statement. Thank you so much. We look forward to catching you in the next episode when we're talking about asset classes. See you then. Thank you for joining us, Carrie McLeod.
2: It's lovely to be here. Thanks again for having me.
0: You're very welcome. We are talking about the environment uh, and the the changing climate of climate change. Uh, Tell us uh, about the conversations you're having with your clients about climate change.
2: I think the main thing that clients are really excited about is that they see like we're really at this precipice, a real transition in, you know, how as a planet we're working together to really quickly adapt and move um, together to race towards a net zero. So Clients are understanding that technology and innovation has to be part of the solution and they're really wanting to make sure that their portfolios are well set up for that. So, we're talking about sustainability and climate change as a means for innovation. And also, they're watching closely with all of the innovations that are happening overseas. And we certainly let them know about those and how their portfolio is benefiting because it's we are global investors after all. And I think that's the real benefit of connecting with a financial advisor for clients, because traditionally, um, you would maybe not go beyond Australia if you're an an investor without an advisor. But, you know, there are some wonderful opportunities elsewhere. Um, I'll just note some milestones that, pardon me, our clients are benefiting from, which have been announced in the European Union. So, They've announced um, the European climate law has been brought in, so where the EU have um, announced 55% emissions reduction targets, which are legally binding for member states. So clients within that portfolio, um, this is a London-based portfolio that we're invested in, i have got a holding in the world's largest manufacturer of wind turbines, which is set to benefit from that. But it's not just... Um, you know, I suppose, renewable energy, it's also this whole renovation wave. So, you know, the EU has announced that uh, there'll be a massive overhaul by 2050 of buildings because they're massive consumers of power. Um, So, looking at improving their environmental performance and cost savings. So, um, a holding that clients um, have in that portfolio is a specialist in efficient buildings and infrastructure design, saving energy and um, other building materials that are more efficient. Um, and also improving, obviously, safety and durability, all the way through to, you know, more responsible foods and marketing and zero pollution for air, water and soil. So, the EU has um, delivered a number of noteworthy milestones. Um, So, investors are excited that that will, you know, really drive performance going forward and deliver the climate change um, results we need.
0: Yeah, it seems that the EU is certainly um, leading leading the way in this space.
2: Yes, it definitely is and I think that's the thing, you know, sometimes clients are a bit despondent that they feel we're sort of, you know, we are a bit behind the times here um, but certainly when you think about their portfolio as an international portfolio and that's the way I have always thought about just despite the fact we're based here, you need to really remember that your clients do have large allocations. In their portfolios to international shares. So how how are they positioned positively for this future that we're rapidly transitioning to? Yeah,
0: I really like some of the words you've been using to about throughout this series: global citizen, global investors, and uh, and and what you mentioned at the beginning that's the race towards—and you said it a couple of times—the race towards net zero. Uh, yeah. When you when you say to me the race towards net zero, I I think to myself, well, I want to be in, you know winning <laughs> that race.
2: Yeah. It's true. Like um I think the the real challenge that um advisors will face is actually not is not the, the question of whether or not to do this for clients, but it's actually how to deliver the solutions because there are, you know, there are a number of different um organizations providing product and certainly the Responsible Investment Association for Australasia is a great um tool to go to because they do certify um new products um that are coming to market. So if If advisors want to go and have a look at that, that's a good place to start. A cohort of advisors that I belong to called the Ethical Advisors Cooperative, we also do an analysis of um, any fund that that wants to participate. We do a survey, um, like a research survey. We call that the LEAF Ratings Survey. So um, advisors are welcome to have a look at that. We put that out um, for consumers and advisors, anyone that wants to have a look. And we talk about... Um, all the positive points of the portfolio. So it might be that the portfolio, for example, has great exposure to climate change solutions. The portfolio has great transparency. They list all holdings. The portfolio engages actively because there will always be problems that will come up from time to time in terms of, you know, maybe it's procurement, like how are they procuring um The materials that go into the um, solar panels, for example, are there any human rights concerns? So there's always going to be an issue. So how, how transparent are they in their engagement with their suppliers? And then we also talk in that leaf rating section about any areas for concern. And that might be, for example, if a manager doesn't explain how they vote their proxies or a manager, for example, has some questionable holdings in the portfolio that would often not align with an average ethical client's desires to invest ethically so that will give you a few key things that you can then raise with your with your client and say here's what i know about this fund is that of interest to you or would that not be palatable because of those particular negative points but it gives you something to talk about
0: so just on that leaf rating if you if you go to the ethical advisor co-op website you'll yes. be able to then look at funds and, and see what the leaf rating is yes. given to them
2: Yes, we do. And we we have done a number, but there's many more to still be done. So, um, it won't be completely comprehensive of the whole marketplace, but it's certainly a starting point. And the Responsible Investment Association for Australasia also has um, their own search tool called ResponsibleReturns.org, which is um, freely available for this exact reason for advisors and consumers to use. Yeah,
0: I was just going to say that. So a resource that advisors or consumers can use or you can use them together.
2: Exactly, exactly. And um, there, are look, there are many other research houses that are now promoting their wares, I suppose, in Australia. So one that's come to market recently from um, the States is Ethos, Sustainable Platforms, that's in Western Australia, um, has been around for a few years. There's also many investment or you know asset consultants that are now providing portfolios, model portfolios in this space, which you could consult with, or independent consultants that specialize in this area, or of course you could look to um, some of the uh, mainstream research houses like Lonsec, um, Sustainalytics, Morningstar um, have also got some some research in this regard as well. Yep.
0: Now you mentioned uh, in one of the previous episodes uh, how uh, even some of our mining companies are, are, are divesting away from things like coal or fossil fuels, or, or or you know trying to trying to present themselves in a way where they've got a a, a, a greener uh, shade to their rating. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell us about what does that actually mean? Does that mean that those companies are divesting away? Those companies are, but other companies are still running them. So what what, a, what do you say to clients about how well that company still exists and
2: um, I think it's really that they've worked out. It's, it's not really about who's running the companies. It's just that it's no longer to be like, if you, if you follow the whole divestment movement from fossil fuels, the point is that to keep to our targets for climate warming to be, you know, one and a half degrees or lower, we know that we need to keep assets such as coal and oil in the ground. So it's just about preventing the stranded assets issue. So, For clients, it's about protecting their capital from being in a position where those assets are written off. So just talking about divestment from fossil fuels, I think, you know, protecting clients from stranded assets is, is a real threat. And that's why stewardship of their capital is an important concept to, to remember the thing with um, where we're headed is that a price on carbon and a stronger price on carbon will continue so the companies that are divesting are really trying to ensure that they remain viable for this new future and the companies that are acquiring the assets I can't quite work out why <laughs> but um, there might be a, there might be obviously some issues with the companies that are acquiring them. Um, But they would probably, I would argue have, you know, headwinds rather than tailwinds. So that's a way to explain it to clients is to say, you know, we're really trying to position the portfolio for those thematics that are gonna provide tailwinds for you. And these are the thematics that we see as being positive because we know a price on carbon is coming and we know we have, um, you know, climate related financial disclosures. And we know that COP twenty six, you know, there's been an agreement made. So we just need to make sure that your portfolio is in the best position for this transition.
0: Yeah, it's interesting uh, terms headwind and tailwind. I like the uh, those concepts, and you're right. The companies that are acquiring those assets, uh, to me, it could only mean short term, short term gain, you know, and, and sacrificing long term.
2: Yes, and I think the other thing is when you think about financial performance there will be a lot of companies transitioning in some shape or form. So, that's a positive thing. Um, So, you can also keep your mind open for those clients that are okay with having some fossil fuels exposure, but if the company that is transitioning more quickly than peers, that's perhaps a good thing. So, you you might want to retain that holding in the portfolio if you know that um, that particular listed company is transitioning quickly compared to peers and has made plans for how they're going to position um, their assets for the future.
0: Yep. Karen, thanks so much for being involved in this episode. We look forward to wrapping the series up uh, in the next episode and, and inviting you along.
2: Wonderful. Thank you, Fraser.
0: Welcome back to the conversation, David. Thank you, Fraser. Now, in this episode, we're talking about climate change and the changing climate of climate change, which uh, which has sort of led the led the way with a lot of this um, sustainability uh, with an ESG portfolios. People sort of think about sustainability, they think about climate change. Uh, tell us about how it's you know it's working with you and your portfolios and and, and your clients.
3: Uh, it, it's an interesting um, um, aspect. I mean, it's all over the place. It's in all the papers, even, even um, the news corp papers are covering this at the moment. So that, that's um, you know, clearly it's mainstream. It, it's a good hook, I think, to get people into. Um, the broader conversation about sustainability, Uh, it's very easy with all the the publicity out there at the moment to to, um, pick a a subject like uh, like coal or or fossil fuels more generally uh, and um, work that back into what is sustainable and and what's not sustainable.
0: Yeah, uh, they're they're absolutely right. There's a lot of talk about uh, digging things up from the ground and and, and putting it into the atmosphere. how do you see technology playing a part in this? Obviously the government have, have, have brought out their plans um, for net zero for 20, 2050, uh, and the technology is playing a big part in that. How, how do you see technology playing a part in it?
3: It feels like a bit of a loaded question. <laughs> 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 one, thing, one thing about this whole subject uh, from a client perspective is um, if, if people listening get one thing out of this and nothing else, don't play into the politics of it with your clients. All right, that's just a, it's like politics, religion, all that sort of stuff. Leave it alone and move on, right? So um, clearly, technology's got got to play a part. Um, you know, you have your your, uh, your Twiggy Forest and those sort of people talking about green hydrogen, and um, you know, we've been talking about carbon sequestration for God knows how long uh, now. Um, but but I, I think um, it, it's kind of a secondary question. It, it's it's about um, the incentives and where the money's moving and where the investments are going. So which will drive the technology if if um you know it was just to say that they talked about um uh cutting out coal in a large part of the world by uh, by twenty thirty um so that that's- that's going to create a uh, a necessity to come up with uh, alternatives so um you know it, it, it'll follow the money the technology will follow the money i think and um you know when, when we when we're hard pressed we can do some amazing things can't we but um more often than not we have to be hard pressed before we move.
0: Yeah yeah how how do you see I mean we, we we don't want to talk about politics how do you see uh legislation uh driving this or do you think uh fund managers uh and, and investors can drive this you know before before the uh the, the, the legislation kicks in and, and actually um you know make some make some difference through either influence or or only investing in sort of deeper green uh, portfolios
3: yeah i i think investors and and um well, companies more generally, and the people invested in them, be they fund managers or individuals, uh, will continue to drive this. Um, you know, it feels like, with only a few exceptions, governments have been dragged along and, and are adjusting, you know, legislation to meet the conditions which are being set by um, the business world. Um, you know, there's momentum there that's, uh, I think, governments are generally struggling to catch up with. Now, I understand governments have a broad range of, of, um, you know, interests that they have to look after and. You know, you can't go and tell coal miners are going to be out of job and not have a plan to get them out. But, um, you know, we're planners. We know what planning, long-term planning is about. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if, if you don't have a plan, you're going to clearly um, be, um, you know, dragged along kicking and screaming and uh, have, uh, um, have to endure consequences which you uh, uh, hadn't anticipated. So um, I think as, as business and investors start to drive this more, then um, governments will have to uh, start catching up.
0: Yeah, I think you. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, we're long-term planners, and that's the that's the role, right, to to keep the conversation about that long-term focus. And if the long-term, uh, you know, use of those fossil fuels aren't going to be around, then uh, it doesn't make sense to be invested in them. I guess.
3: But again, I appreciate that if your your um um, ongoing service agreement goes for three years, that is till the next election, um, you know, you'll struggle.
0: <laughs> I like that a three-year ongoing service agreement. Uh, depending on the uh, the time frame um fantastic so uh what what are you seeing in this space has there been a lot of change going on with regards to um some of the 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 investments in your portfolio in this space are they are they moving away are they changing how have you seen the fund managers work
3: there's a there's a it varies between fund managers clearly um with the um people with the authentic sustainability badges on them um you know I, I think that the the money is is following the technology more quickly than the ones which are, are kind of anchored into um the old way of doing things so uh i, I think um, across that fund manager universe the, the rubber band is being stretched quite a bit by the people that are, are taking lead on this and and moving into into um you know, the newer technologies um, or not even necessarily the newer technology but technologies which are more environmentally friendly which doesn't necessarily mean a um, new technology but existing technology which which um, you know fulfills a portfolio uh, criteria uh, without having the negatives so it, it's, um, it, it, it's 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 a very broad church
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and uh, you know you mentioned the word long-term planning before do, do you think it's a, an advisors um, uh role duty responsibility i don't know what the right word is uh around uh, having these conversations with their clients so you know about the environment and, and about the uh you know about their returns and portfolios and how they sit and i think as you mentioned before if they if they're not if they're not sustainable then they're not sustainable
3: yeah yeah definitely um now this, this can take a couple of directions you can kind of take that conversation up front as we've chosen to do or as as the environment changes you know take them on that ride um, with them so uh, from our perspective i guess that we want to front run this a little bit and, and um, make sure clients are uh, positioned before you know the crowd gets to it there's a, um, a term in technology we'll talk about the uh, adoption curve um, so we, we don't want to be first adopters we're, we're more in we want to be in that second tier where um, you know the adoption is picking up, uh, and certainly not on the other se- other side of the curve when it's all been priced in already, and, uh, and you're you kind of playing catch up. So, I think um, from a, a returns perspective and a, and from a, a, an outcomes perspective, you might be doing your clients a disservice by not uh, at least considering these these um, the practical implications of these changes that are going on.
0: Yeah, and from the the previous episode, we we talked a little bit about that. You know, what does that mean for the individual client? Uh, how how is it that we can go around and talk about, you know, um, you know, your portfolio took this many cars off the road, or that your portfolio made this much difference when it comes to uh, environmental impact?
3: Yeah. So there's, um, I think I mentioned in the last episode that there's qu- some quite uh, in-depth reporting you can get now from fund managers and, and blend that in, into uh, a communication for the clients. Um. And going back to you know the, the barbecue story, it, it, give, it does give people a little bit of a uh, an extra incentive, if you like, to to be going on this journey. Um, but 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 again, I, I think I'd emphasise that it, it's um, it's a nice to have and it is feel good, and you are doing good for the environment as well. But um, when, when the rubber hits the road, um, I think most clients are still going to say, well, what what do the returns look like, and um, how does, how is that affecting you know my long term outcomes?
0: Yep. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely uh, uh, lots, lots to consider and lots to weigh into that conversation. Uh, David, thanks so much for coming on this particular episode and talking to us about it. We look forward to catching you in the next episode with one of your most, whether it be your favourite subjects, when we talking about different asset classes. Okay. Thank you, Michelle and Claudia, for joining us again.
4: Hi, Fraser. Hi, Fraser.
0: Now, we are talking about the changing climate of climate change. Obviously, uh, you know, as, as we've talked about before, it's a, it's a pretty popular topic at the moment.
4: Oh, it's it's massive at the moment. Um, we've been we've been talking about it. Not I don't want to sound too smug or anything, but you know we've been talking about it for years, and we've been talking about carbon in portfolios and yeah, the carbon information. And you know, back in the early days of my previous life, I I studied science, and you know we did we did whole things about the greenhouse the greenhouse. Story, So, you know, and and now there's, you know, the climate change is just something that's with us. And I I really think, you know, some of those environmental disasters or things that have happened recently like the fires and the floods and, you know, it's all a bit biblical, but um, climate change is here. And whether or not you're a climate denier, but a cleaner, greener atmosphere can only be good for everybody.
0: Yes, certainly. The um, and why has it taken so long for the scientists to uh, the, the, the scientists' words to get traction?
4: I don't know. I think it, that's that's political, and we probably shouldn't go there on this podcast. But there's a lot of politics around that, and you know, we live in a country that is still haven't hasn't accepted that potentially renewable energy is an option, and that perhaps coal may not be there forever, and it's a non-renewable resource. But it was cheap, provided good energy, but there's jobs elsewhere.
0: Yep, it certainly did. Uh, it was needed at the time, I guess you could say, and so it, 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 maybe it's run its course. Uh, there's a lot of calls for, um, you know, keep the carbon, keep the oil, keep the gas uh, in the ground. Um, is that the only thing we're talking about when we're talking about environmental though?
5: No, we um, we, we talk about pollution as well, uh, water, waterways. So, you know, the, the results from some of the mining, uh, weak mining um Activities um, it 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 touches everything uh, from from the air to the water to the um, what's the right word um, not apart from stealing land grab um, so you know that impacts uh, the communities uh, surrounding communities so it's not just it's not just um, clean air yeah
0: there's some really interesting um, conversations then to be had around you know like the the uh, the technology that's involved in this as well. Um, the, some of the announcements recently from the government talked about using technology to filter and, and, and to take carbon out of the air as it's being produced and, um, uh, all the way through to, you know, how do we, how do we re how do we create better air quality, um, whether that's through trees or, or seaweed or whatever it might be. But, um, tell us about some of this technology that's coming on and how you see that as an opportunity.
4: Well, we're, I mean, the whole uh, new technology or renewable energy is something that's very popular with our investors. So we're always trying to find some sort of investment solution that uh, that we can provide in our portfolios, and and we do we do have that. But there's sometimes those technologies take a while to become profitable. So we, we have to be careful with clients' money to make sure that we're investing in things that are going to actually deliver something for them, but. We're constantly looking for the technologies that will provide solutions in for a better environmental outcome.
5: We've seen we've seen quite a few. I mean, in the in the renewable space, for example, we've seen you know uh, not just wind capture and, and and solar. We've also we've also seen wave wave energy. But sometimes these technologies they, they have to go through a pilot phase, a, a, a testing phase, and then mm-hmm. and then just putting it. To the to, to the to,
4: grid. Or?
5: Yeah, to the grid, that's again another challenge. Um so there are lots of little um interesting what about um bio bioenergy as well, you know, using waste to channel energy and 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 some of these technologies are actually running in some councils, but it just hasn't been been able to take off. And I, and, and there's a multitude of reasons behind that. Yeah,
4: and sometimes uh like policy support might be something that's missing like governmental policy oh
5: very much yeah yeah Yeah.
4: so once the government is pushing for these things i think that that's when a lot of a lot more traction will be available i mean the government has money to spend in certain places and if they could spend it in renewables then i think that would see a huge yeah a huge growth and and a huge acceptance in and development in renewables because it's there we have the technology we're we're smart humans we we find out ways to solve problems and we have the ability just have to have the will.
5: From what I've read so far and, and, and encountered with investments, it's all about policy. I mean, we talk about solar, um, the last few years, mm. solar has done better, but if you wind back, you know, if you take a look 10 years ago, policy was just not your friend. Um, and as much as there was so much, you know, as much as there's investor and community support for it, it could not take off because there was not enough support. and you know, if you want to talk about cost, that, you know, cost was not competitive enough, policies, it doesn't have to be just grants. Mm. It it just comes down to policy facilitating and making that infrastructure for these um, technologies to come through. Um, that's that's really what we need.
0: Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you, you did mention councils in that previous grab and, and, you know, councils and state government, all levels of government, I guess, are, are responsible for that.
4: Yes, and, um, you know, if we could you know with the amount of uh, rooftop solar that's out there now i mean some small communities in like a small council area they could run their own little grid if there was enough um, support for that and run their own electricity and between each other share things when the sun wasn't shining and you know if we could get to that stage it'd be amazing but you know we also have big power companies who have the power
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's an interesting way of looking at it Uh, the the power dynamic with the power companies. Um, uh, One of the things that probably doesn't get mentioned a lot in this space um, that I'm always thinking and concerned about is um, the long-term, like renewable energy, amazing, you know, solar Panels, for example, I think we still need minerals out of the ground to create solar panels, uh, but then the recycling of those panels, you know, when their shelf life ends in, you know, 10 years' time, for example, or whatever it might be, um, have you seen any technology in that space of, you know, taking renewables like batteries and solar and then also renewing the renewable?
5: Yeah, there is. Um, there was a recent report that I read um, that, that recyc- recycling, catering for renewable energy is something that needs to now be looked at and, and develop very quickly because um, we're not just talking about solar panels; we're also talking about lithium batteries, um, and we need a facility that is able to extract that and renew that, uh, renew those all those components. So when we come back to circular economy; we want to promote that as much as possible. Very applicable to to the renewable technology that we we're we're constantly uh, supporting.
0: Yeah, and hopefully the energy that's required to uh, to, to renew the renewables is not taken up. <laughs> It's yes. not coal-powered. So, uh, yes. yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ever-changing thing. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about climate change. And there's so many different aspects we could look into this, and I guess um, the, the overarching sort of theme to me is it takes uh, all levels of business, uh, all levels of government, and the desire to make uh, to make it happen, and it looks like we're on that track.
4: And we can all do our little bit for it, ride our bikes, go for
0: walks, Wonderful! Thank you so much. Uh, We'll catch you in the next episode when we start talking about the different asset classes.
4: Okay, thanks, Fraser.
0: Fraser. Welcome back, Grover Berthay. Hi, glad glad to be back with you, Fraser. Now we're talking about the climate and the and the changing climate of climate change, uh, the environmental aspects. uh, of uh, ESG, the the very first uh, part of the the conversation, and ESG is around environment. T- tell us a little bit about what you're seeing with the conversations uh, you're having with you know advisors around um, the environment.
6: Well, this is this is naturally a, a very fluid topic and one where we're spending considerable time, allocating considerable resources at Pimco across our ESG platform, and, and really being. As, as front of market um, and as thoughtful as we can with regards to measuring climate risk and addressing uh, the issues that the, that the planet faces from a climate perspective. Uh, the questions that we are most frequently either receiving now or proactively um, asking ourselves are how do you construct strategies, how do you measure portfolios, how do you measure progress um, from a climate perspective. And there's been increasing over the last, certainly over the last few weeks with the COP26 conference, but really over the course of the entire year to date, and last year, uh, an increasing usage of the phrase net zero, um, of the concept of net zero, there various net zero commitments being made in different parts of the market. And and that in and of its own right is is a phrase that I think some understand what it means. Others use it as a proxy for environmental progress here at PIMCO, what we really want to look at is 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 not just so simply how much carbon is in a portfolio, but what are we doing? What is a portfolio doing to try to make progress in some of these very difficult areas? Um, and and carbon emissions, carbon intensity are great proxies for that, but it's also important to identify where uh, who, who a carbon, um, who an environmental, who a climate leader is in a sector. If a sector has a climate leader or a laggard. It's important to acknowledge where a science-based target has been made. We heavily encourage the adoption of science-based targets, and our supporters of the science-based target initiative. It will be increasingly important as many commitments are made um, to then measure if there's being progress. We don't expect it to be linear, but there has to be progress made, and and then you know seeing progress in some of the areas that are hard to abate sectors, uh, cement, for example, um, heavy manufacturing. Right. Uh, and progress in electric vehicles is important, but we're not going to solve um, the climate crisis purely by, by electric vehicles or, or light duty transportation. Um, we need to go into some of these very heavy industrial areas and make progress. And so we really believe this is an area where you, you have to be um, heavily engaged with a range of different issuers. You have to have models and frameworks in place to, to measure progress. And you also have to be mindful of the fact that that areas of the marketplace that don't react can, can be at real risk um, risk of obsolescence risk of of policy and regulators coming against them uh, risk of their consumers and their own sources of revenue perhaps moving away as well
0: yeah, it's very much a work with these businesses in the space uh, we mentioned earlier on um you know measurements and ratings and and I guess your measuring that you're doing internally is very different to the measurement that the end consumer might see uh, you know the end consumer might see this particular Portfolio or fund might have a light green rating or this rating or that rating, whereas your measurements obviously measuring some pretty intense things within the businesses. Um, talk to me about that that rating from a consumer point of view, that light green, dark green type conversations, and and and, and how do you um, how do you see that sort of you know when, when it comes to consumer conversations?
6: Sure, sure. Well, you know, we we for example we we have our ESG global bond fund, um, which is one of our flagship ESG products. And and I would very much flag it as one where the the, the topic of climate is a top priority, and, and we're optimizing around around these various considerations. And, and there, you know, we look at carbon intensity, and we look at carbon intensity against a benchmark. We look at carbon intensity versus um, other comparable funds, whether they be at Pimco or not at Pimco, and are trying to have a, a degree that's much more acceptable um, from from a carbon intensity standpoint. And I think right now it's you know approximately 25% of the carbon intensity of its respective benchmark. But that would be different from a strategy that, for example, says I only want exposure to to um, companies that are going to have a tremendous impact on on the environment immediately, right? Which may be more of your of what you're calling dark green, uh, or for example, in, in Europe right now, what they're calling Article Nine under SFDR, um, where it's 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 you're saying that that the constituents of a portfolio. Are almost entirely um, determined and identified based on the degree of impact. It doesn't mean that a light green product um, or a, or a broader ESG product isn't going to have that impact outcome, but it means that uh, you're not taking a mandate and you're making it solely, right, narrowly defined by by the specific um, established criteria you put up front. And, and so, you know, light green, dark green. I think there can be some sort of connotation that one is better or worse, or that you know, one is more ESG or less ESG. The reality is I think that the way we think about it is, is you know, different different mandates um, have different criteria for them and, and, it, and it's about mixing and optimizing what makes sense for a particular need uh, and, and also still being um, very, very intentional about the tools and the utilization of those tools across, across the board just within reason and within different
0: different degrees of emphasis. Yeah, now the uh, it, it very much feels to me like a lot of these bigger companies, it's like turning a large ship. It takes – takes time how are you working with those individual companies and uh you know obviously setting targets and moving towards them and and keeping them accountable uh is is their attitude towards change a positive one or do they feel like it's forced or is it like is is this a proactive thing
6: well it's it's you know i think broadly speaking certainly there's been more receptivity on, on these topics from issuers right by with with each passing year um and it's because First and foremost, um, that's reflective of, of not just you know, financial markets, but just the global population in general. right There's more receptivity and acceptance of, of the fact that many of these issues need to be addressed and, and that they are creating certain certain underlying problems. Um, our, our, our efforts, as noted, are very, um, are very focused in terms of, of having some degree of measurability, um, some degree of commitment and some degree of transparency around it. And, and I would say that, that generally speaking, those conversations are productive, right? They're productive because um, I think issuers understand why that's important for an investor. They understand that that we don't want to have these conversations and then walk away as if the problem's been solved. Now, the other side of it is that um, there's, there, there are often times, depending on the sector, not great methodologies or, or not great tools to actually do that. And, and so and it goes back to my point on, 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 on you know, uh, in one of our previous conversations on how much you want your capital. To try to help be part of the change, right? Um, versus a more exclusionary approach where you're you're saying you just don't want exposure to certain areas at all. And there are pros and cons to both. Um, but but the reality is that if if th- there is a risk in being too dogmatic on some of these topics, um, because if the problems were easy to solve, everyone would have solved them already. <laughs> so uh, we we do want to we do want to be mindful of of the the specific challenges that issuers face, um, what their intent is, and and, and to the extent that that they can make real progress are they trying to do so and are they trying to do so in an ambitious manner um but every sector is different and and, and every country is different um
0: and we're all from different starting places and, and that has to be taken into account yep now you mentioned uh the the term climate leaders earlier uh which i like is uh is that something that they're looking at putting targets in place that's that's well above say you know net Zero, you know, twenty fifty, for example, that uh, governments are talking about. Are they are they looking at like a ten year time frame rather than pushing it out to that far? What what, what are the leaders doing?
6: Yeah, exactly. Part part of it is is to the extent, um, I mean, just establishing right a target, uh, a science based target to be specific. Um, that anyone can establish a target. It may be something that would have happened organically either way, but adopting one that's aligned with with you know a, a one and a half or two degree scenario right certainly puts one in place to, to receive that categorization from us but more importantly than that it, it's about um then explaining and giving information about how you're gonna get there right because even even adopting a science based target in of itself um isn't necessarily right i mean we're we're, we're the beginning phases of, of these being heavily adopted well heavy is a strong word of them being more regularly adopted and and over the next five years um and this was you know a big a big Outcome of the of the COP conference for, for sovereigns for governments uh, over the next five years, we really have to shift from making these commitments to to measurements and and and, and um and reports and, that, and and really coming back to to measure progress uh, because we have sort of moved we are we are close to moving past the point where where commitments are the most important we're going to continue to encourage and, and engage and expect commitments um and, and with certain targets. But we really are moving to a point where, um, with the time that we have, uh, there has to be progress against these
0: goals. Yeah. Now, when uh, when I hear the word one and a half or two degree, of course, a bit living in Australia, we think of the Celsius metric, uh, and of course, you, your Fahrenheit metric. Uh, I, I did I did think about that when uh, when uh, the the conference was on talking about one and a, one and a half two degrees. Um, just trying to get the globe on the same page when it comes to the the terminology. How, how, are you, how are you going over there when it comes to individuals thinking one and a half two degrees? Do they automatically go to Fahrenheit?
6: You know there, there there are certainly colleagues we have here at PIMCO um, who who very much believe that 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 the whole world right this is not a conversation about you know Fahrenheit versus Celsius broadly, <laughs> but that when it comes to climate the whole world should move to Fahrenheit because a bigger number hopefully sets off more, alarm, more alarms. Um, and you know most at this point know that when you, when someone says have they don't mean Fahrenheit, um, but. I must say I can't believe it. I'm not sure what the exact the exact uh, conversion is for that, but I'm sure it, make, it would make it quite hot in certain places here, particularly in the southern
0: US. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And uh, and what are some of the uh, the great initiatives you're seeing from companies uh, in climate change at the moment?
6: Sure. Well, the you know be, beyond the science based targets, one one main commitment that that many are making, which which you know I think we want to see continue an adoption of generally speaking. Uh, but it's actually giving information about where, where capital will be, will be invested or, or, or CapEx. So, you know, to follow on to the point on on implementation execution, um, but okay, you know, and this has happened by some of the automakers recently that they're, they're not only making these commitments in terms of, okay, where, where they want to go, but all right, how much R&D is going to be now attributed to, to for example, the electric vehicle space um, and, and similar, similar concepts in other areas. Um, all right, your utility, and, and you're saying that you're moving to, to cleaner sources of energy. Well, how much do you expect to be from from solar and wind over the next five or ten years? Um, you know, when exactly do you plan on reducing certain capacity and some of the more carbon intense parts of your business place, and and giving giving really giving the market the the ability to 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 then judge how that how material that is uh, against past capex trends against. Against you know the overall balance sheet, um, and being able to make an assessment about you know is there just an urgency, right, or is this something that that you know is really more back ended in terms of the process that, that's coming on board. Um, the the other topic that that's important here, you know, just pure climate, um, and and, and some very specific carbon topics get a lot of a lot of the airtime, but but it's critically important that many of these strategies are comprehensive. We spent considerable time this year, for example, on the topic of deforestation. It's not delinked from carbon emissions, right? We need more forestry just to absorb carbon, but you know it's not cleanly in line with some of the the more common topics that have been discussed um, in this subject matter with regards to utilities or oil and gas over the last several years. But areas, for example, in the food space and the agriculture space, um, various areas. But this this comes to some degree to policymakers too. You know, are they protecting some of our natural resources? Um, being able to facilitate more use of nature based solutions. Yeah. Uh, And then that that will extend itself to other areas such as biodiversity, um, such as ocean security, um, you know, water, water intensity, and water usage. Many other areas that, like I said, are still still have direct implications with regards to to carbon and carbon emissions, but but are also also taking a blend of other environmental related issues as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. That biodiversity and and deforestation, and understanding that uh, how the whole ecosystem works, not just um, about the carbon piece. Uh, now, technology was obviously a big part of the the solution for this. Uh, how are you seeing technology and and in, in, in this space being, you know, the, the the savior or or the next part of the, where, we, where we're going to from here?
6: Well, it's 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 sort of the gift and the curse of many. You know, if you look at many different pathways, many research pieces that have been put out. Um, by by various market groups, right? There's there is uh, an expectation and and a, and a necessity for for certain new technologies or new new alternatives to, to come on board. Whether that be green hydrogen, whether that be a variety of other of other tools, whether it be electric vehicles, not just in the in the individual car or individual auto space, uh, or not even heavy trucks necessarily, but you're talking about electric. Electric vehicles coming to, to locomotives, um, to, you know, sh- the shipping industry needs to decarbonize, sustainable aviation, fuel for aviation aircraft. Um, there's so many things that need to happen. Um, and, and for some of those, okay, the technology maybe is there, but it hasn't become cost efficient yet or cost competitive yet for others. Um, the technology is there, but it's hard to scale it. It's hard to, it's hard to, you know, sort of have it at the level where it can, it can apply to major parts of the economy and there just has to be progress there and so we certainly want to invest this goes back to our you know our, our, our um, climate leader conversation we certainly want to be invested in in parts of the marketplace where they're, they're making progress in these areas because they're huge revenue opportunities huge business opportunities for those that that will be great for for pimCO's ESG and non-ESG portfolios um, but but the other side of all this is is you know this is what the private sector has to come through because without progress in these areas, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to to achieve some of these net zero related um, objectives that that you know from a, a macro perspective um, that the industry and, and the public sector are increasingly promoting. Uh, you you really do need areas of the economy to, to be able to shift um, where it's just not it's just not actually possible today at least not in a cost efficient manner.
0: Brilliant, thank you, Graver, for being part of this uh, session. We look forward to catching you in the next one where we start looking at different asset classes.
6: Excellent, look forward to it. Enjoyed it as usual. Oh,